Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Run to Daylight Football Funcast with your host, Todd Burroughs. Welcome back to the Run to Daylight podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Todd Burroughs. Glad to be back. I've been pretty busy lately with life and work and writing and doing pod- a few podcasts for Rotoviz. Uh, but I had a really great opportunity tonight. Um, he gave me a really big break, uh, letting me come on his Sirius XM show and do a, a, a spot. So I thought I would return the favor. Wait, wait, what? It's not a favor? Oh, he's doing me a favor. Uh, well, he is doing me a favor. Um, I want to welcome to the show the football diehard, Bob Harris. Bob, how are you? Greetings, Todd. I'm delightful and fantastic and wonderful and all those things. I was listening to the show open, and I missed the uh, grid, grid, grid. Doesn't anybody tackle anymore? That's what I needed. I needed some of that. <laughs> Well, you know, you're probably one of the only people who would recognize that Run to Daylight comes from a Vince Lombardi book. Yes, I would, and uh was a big fan. You know, one of the reasons I, you know, one of the things behind me getting into all this was just a love of, you know, reading about football, you know, played as a child, but reading about it, the, uh, the old strange but true football stories books that I read until they turned into back into wood pulp from pages and things like that. So yes, I'm, uh, I'm up to speed on all that. Yeah. And distant replay by Jerry Kramer. That was, uh, yes. I think that was a must read. Yeah. He is a, he's an amazing story in and of himself. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that people don't realize he went through to, to be on the field. Well, and it's, I think it's just the biggest oversight in the world that he's not in the pro football hall of fame. I would agree with that as well. Well, I uh, I appreciate you coming on the show. I know you live in Albuquerque. Is that where you grew up? And have you <laughs> run into Bugs Bunny making any wrong turns at Albuquerque? Uh, I think we all know. Anyone our age knows you never make that left turn in Albuquerque. It's, uh, it's always the one that gets you in the grip of the coyote. But, no, I grew up in Tucson, Arizona. <laughs> Uh, I spent most of my early portion of my life there and moved here uh, when I started working for Emil Cadlick, uh in about, I think it was 1998 or so. I started working for him a couple of years before, but when I worked full-time, <clears throat> yeah, uh, you know, back in those days, it was it was easier for someone to come put their foot on your throat if you were late with an article or whatever when you lived in the same territory. So so we did that. I moved here from Tucson, so... And this is where uh, Fantasy Sports Publication is headquartered. So that's how that happened. And no left turns were injured in the making of that move. <laughs> well, <laughs> that that's good. And I'm sure Daffy Duck gave his approval and said, mine, mine, all mine. <laughs> but uh, yeah. well, well, 
Why don't you start by, uh, you know, giving us a little bit of your history. You know, you joked on Twitter that nobody in fantasy is older than you, uh, which means that you probably go back further than most, even me. I mean, even though I'm older, I didn't start fantasy football uh, until 1999. So if you wouldn't mind giving us a concise history of how you became the football diehard, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, I started playing with a group of friends in Tucson uh, back in 1986. It was introduced to us. A friend moved back from San Diego and brought it with them and changed all of our lives forever, Um, mostly mine. And we could start playing. It was called the Tucson Football League, uh, the TFL. And uh, I was kind of working in some engineering and did a little graphic design, you know, had some equipment at my fingertips. So, I started making a little newsletter for the league where I would talk smack about everyone's team and, you know, kind of make it a newsy little thing. As I mentioned, I read about football, you know, constantly as a child and played it and and just loved telling the story. So that kind of carried over. And at some point, about a year or two into the whole fantasy football thing, I realized, boy, you know, there there's a lot going on here that, you know, the information is not as readily available. Back then, your USA Today came out and you had an injury report on Wednesday, and that's all you knew until Sunday, and then the next thing you knew, your starter wasn't playing, and you're going, why? And so I realized there was a bit of a hole in that, you know, in that process, so I thought maybe I could fill it. And uh, so I thought I'll make a newsletter, and then we'll you know, get this information out. Well, that obviously had limitations because I was mailing a newsletter. Um, so I included a fax service as part of that. And I would fax out three times a day. I would get uh, the latest information from the practice fields. And fortunately for me, I was uh, met a kid who went to the university of Arizona named Steve Cohen, uh, <clears throat> who moved back to New York city, was working as a producer for the, for WFAN in New York, WFAN. And, uh, yeah, and I, you, I, you may uh, know him now. I, you may, you may know him now as the, uh, the boss of serious, uh, NFL and serious fantasy radio. So he would, he was a producer for them at the time and he would call me every day and give me the, all the practice information. I would put it into a little fax, a one page fax, and we would send that out three times a day. And that kind of evolved into where, you know, I put a 900 number together and started reading box scores into the phone Sunday night. I'd get them on CompuServe Sunday night and, and nobody else could have them until Monday morning. So I made a small fortune. Uh, reading box scores into uh, the 900 machine recorder. And so that it all worked out pretty well early on. And then it's, you know, obviously evolved over the years, but that was kind of the starting point. That's really cool because I do know Stevie Cohen because I grew up in New Jersey and I was living in New York when the fans started, you know, Mike and the Mad Dog and Stevie was on there mm-hmm. a lot. And I, yep. I actually used to, uh, talk to him and Adam Kaplan a lot when they were at Pro right. Football News and Injury Report, um, which, designed, you know, I guess kind of... I designed their first website uh, for that for that company. Uh, it was him and Glazer and Adam, and I knew Adam from before that. Uh, he worked for his cousin, Sam Kaplan. They were, you know, there was only a few of us that when the internet first came around and I first got online about 1994, um, realizing wow, I'm sending out these faxes and it cost me a pretty penny per page thing. The internet, you mean I can send to just as many people for zero? Uh, that was pretty appealing to me. So I I was around when those guys started that and uh, designed their website for them, did a lot of that kind of work back in the day for a lot of the uh, people in the business. Uh, John Hansen, 
uh, Jim Lenz back at Fantasy Insights back in those days. So, uh, yeah, I was around for all of the, the all of the beginning of the whole internet craze back in the early nineties. It must have been a really exciting time, and a lot of those guys have done, like yourself, very good, uh, you know, getting to do something that you love, and not everyone can do that. So I, That's um, that's the truth. You know, it really is a blessing, and, uh, you know, very happy for you that, uh, that it worked out and that you got in on the front end and have done so well with it. Tell us a little bit how you and Emil met and how football diehards started. Give us just a little bit of that history, too, if you don't mind. Uh, Emil, yeah, Emil, uh, Emil called me to sell me advertising, as he called everyone, because uh, there was only seven of us to call. Uh, so he started the magazine <laughs> way back then, and he was looking to sell advertising. And, you know, over time, if you, you know Emil, you know he's a very personable guy, and he likes to talk, and we would sit around and talk. And, and kind of, you know, as time went on, he – kind of recruited me to do an increasing amount of content for his magazines. And there just came a point where it seemed logical to make the next step. And, you know, more magazines, we he was putting out more magazines than just the pro forecast. And uh, then when we got together and, and, you know, I was able to do some website design and he and I learned a little bit of more about coding and, you know, went to some seminars to get in front of that. Cause you know, back then you did everything. And so it was. It was just a situation, you know. That's kind of how football diehards came came about. We kind of, you know, it was more Emil's idea, but we kind of, you know, put that between the two of us, and it kind of, you know, that kind of became the information site, kind of a hub for all the magazines. Because I think we both realized, you know, the obvious limitations of magazines. I mean, you know, as the internet was rising in prominence, I mean, there it was pretty clear that hey, we better have a component so we can you know, provide customers who buy the magazine with a reason to still buy the magazine yet not feel like they were buying a snapshot in time, but they were buying a more, you know, a broader product that could be updated. And that's kind of how we did it, you know, and how we still do it. If you buy a magazine, you get some time in the website as part of the deal. Uh, so, so that, you know, we all know what happens. Things change, everything changes. And, and so we've learned kind of adjusted the approach of the magazines as well to focus more on, you know, timeless strategies and, you know, things that aren't as dependent on time. Some of it's always going to be, you know, that time-dependent stuff, but all that can be fixed uh, thanks to the magic of the interwebs and the Football Diehards website. Yeah, it's it's a great website, and I was honored to be accepted as a writer there. You're absolutely right about uh, Emil. Emil, I'll get it right one of these days. Um you know, I got on the phone with him and it was, you know, I'm a big talker. He's certainly no slouch. And, you know, an, an hour went by just talking about football. It seemed like 10 minutes. Um, but writing seems to be a passion for you. How much of it do you do? And do you write anywhere else besides football diehards at this point? Uh, no, and I, I've always that's always been the main place to find it, and I do tons of writing. I do all the news there, so uh, honestly, it's a it's pretty much a, an endless slog of of news because we all know how the news works anymore. It's it's it, the S does you know the new the the first three letters don't matter anymore. We want to you know just talk about what's going on, even if it is not necessarily new. And I'm fine with that. I have a endless amount of time to sit here and write words and. 
and I enjoy telling the stories. I enjoy creating the narratives from the information that's available. Over time, you learn how to, you know, work it better. So, you you know, look, I think when we all first get started, you know, we're out there promoting our narratives, and after a while, you get burned on some of those things. You learn, you know, to be open and, and realize when things are changing, and you can reflect that when you're writing, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 news updates a day and, and kind of, you know, commenting on each of the news items and what it means you have a good opportunity to to uh, build on your narratives, to make changes when you need to. I just love telling the stories about football uh, to a group of people that are as interested in football as I am, and that's what fantasy football is all about. It's a, it's a chance to take something you already love and make it a bigger part of your life, uh, get closer to it and, and feel more connected to it. And I think that's part of you know what anyone in this business is doing is trying to, to, to get in on that connection between the fan and the game they love. How important do you find humor to being successful if you have a knack for it? Uh, that's the key part. It's great if you're funny. Um, when you're not, it's not so good. And, so, and, and understanding what's funny and what's not, <laughs> understanding what, when it's time to joke and when it's time not to joke, uh, it's increasingly a sensitive society, so you have to remain, you know, you have to be culturally relevant, which is hard for old people. Um, and yeah, so you can't get by on just are, Bugs Bunny jokes. Right. I mean, you can, but it's a very niche audience. So, <laughs> but that's the thing. I mean, you know, you. I mean, I think humor is a great way to uh, connect with people. Everyone, you know, everyone likes to smile. Everyone likes to laugh. But you know, don't reach, don't stretch, don't go for the joke when you know. Don't go for the easy joke when it's not necessarily. Uh, something that's going to be uh, accepted by everyone. And it's just understanding the audience that I think, you know, for us, we're fortunate that we preach to acquire, you know, there's people that understand we're not going to get everything right. And if you readily own that and admit to that and use a little humor and self-deprecation uh, to, to show everybody you feel the same as them, because here's the thing, you know, as a fantasy football writer, <clears throat> that everybody who reads your words, or if you're on the doing this kind of thing or on the radio, Everyone who listens to you, reads your words, uh, is 110% sure they could do your job better than you. And the only reason they're not is some quirk of fate that kept them from, you know, being fortunate enough to find this job. And the truth is they're right. Uh, if, you, if you love to get we're, – we're dealing with the most knowledgeable audience. I crazy. I, we're selling ice Eskimos on a daily basis. You're not fooling anybody. You're not getting a pass. You know, you're not getting over on anybody. They can tell if you're faking it. Uh, you have to be 100% real. And so, so there are times when you can use humor to self-deprecate, and, and, and they understand. You know, they know you're wrong and stuff, and how you handle that is part of the fun. And, and, but, but also humor is how to engage an audience that, you know, look, there's a lot of people out there doing this, right? And, and, I, and you have to set yourself apart to a degree. And honestly, if I started now, there's such a crowd of talented, young, smart people out there that I don't know if I would – I don't know if I would gain purchase, right? It's, yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough it's a tough uh, world to get into now. But I think having a good sense of humor and being entertaining is the thing that you can do to set yourself apart. Well, and I think you mentioned one of the key things that I try and focus on, which is to try and be humble uh, and self-deprecating while trying to be funny. Uh, I know for myself, I'm very picky as far as who I'll listen to and who I'll read. And, you know, if someone has a monotone or 
you know, there's so many good places to get information. I don't need to listen to someone who talks in a monotone or someone who takes themselves too seriously. And so I, I think you're right. I think, you know, finding a way to engage with people is always a really good idea. You said you grew up in Arizona, and obviously the Cardinals weren't out there when you uh, were growing right. up. What was your favorite football team growing up, and how long did it take you to get over that bias when playing fantasy football? Uh, before I get to that, I just want to say the, the most important advice I could give everyone is take your job seriously and yourself much less so, uh, probably in all. <laughs> um, as far as – I the, love you that. Know, you know, that – that, that was the thing about, you know, growing up in Arizona. I didn't have a team. And even when the Cardinals moved there, eh, you know, how much of a team they were is debatable. So I didn't really get into them, uh, you know, and a lot of people out there didn't. And I grew up in a world where everybody had a team because in Arizona, everyone moved to Arizona from somewhere else. I'm one of the few people, you know, that I knew that were, that was born and raised, you know, born there in Tucson and in just in Arizona in general. So, Everyone was from New York or New Jersey or Kansas City, or and they all had their team. I never had that. <clears throat> and whenever the you know the Cardinals moved, I didn't really feel like I had that then. And so I think at one point when the Seahawks and Buccaneers uh, joined the league, I tossed a coin uh, to see which one of them would be my team, and it came up Seahawks. And I pretended to be a Seahawks fan for a couple of years, but it was just not the same. I just never had a team. And so that's really, you know, that really made a difference for me, right? So it's it's easy to, you know, you don't want to have a bias. I don't want to have a bias when I do this. And so when people ask me now, you know, what's your favorite team? My favorite team is just like if I was a dishwasher, what's your favorite pot? The one that's easiest to scrub, you know, the, the one with the narrative <laughs> that I can work with, the one without the convoluted, you know, I mean, look, I can tell, I, I've written more, I've written the words Ezekiel Elliott more, uh, this off season than than I've wanted to, and you know, past season Brett Favre or whatever. I mean, there's there's always these ongoing dramas that you have to deal with in this business, and and those are the things that I mean, you do them, uh, but they get tiresome because it's you know the same thing every day. There's nothing really new, but you still have to talk about it because people are interested in it. So how you can keep that going is part of the part of the deal. But that's been my my one of my advantages is I have no allegiance to any team. I hate them all equally. Yeah, I, I learned very quickly, you know, if you want to be good at fantasy football, you can't have biases because I, I kind of reverse engineer it. I've always been real good at trading, and I, I kind of just look at what uh, how I can take advantage of other people and then try not to allow that for myself. But I want to go back a step because you mentioned, I think it was 1977 when the two teams came in. Yes. Uh, you yeah. definitely you definitely did better on the on the on the uh, coin toss <laughs> with uh, Ken did. Patera not Ken Patera Jack Patera and Jim Zorn than going zero yeah. twenty eight or whatever it was with the Bucks. Although the Bucks were very entertaining and Jim McKay was very entertaining too, very funny man. He was he was a great college coach as well. Uh, I grew up with that, you know, the O.J. Simpson and the, you know, the tailback Marcus Allen, Charles right. White. It, they always had, they always had the best tailback. So, how many leagues do you play in, and what's your breakdown of fantasy leagues between redraft, auction, dynasty, and how many of them are IDP leagues? So, as, as of today, I'm in 14 season-long leagues. 
Um, I would say about half of them are Dynasty. Three of them are IDP. Uh, or actually four of them are IDP. But now that I think about it, the Iron Thrones Dynasty League run by my friend Ross Miles of Pro Football Focus over yonder in England. So that's an IDP league as well. So <clears throat> that's a book of I will be – and actually I, I take that back. I add six to that because I'm in two for – I'm in one for every magazine plus a couple extras in some of the magazines. So um, the count will get high. I will be in way more season-long leagues than I want to be, and by way more I mean it'll top out about 25, and about, oh, I'd say seven, eight of them will be Dynasty, uh, the three or four IDPs. I'll have one auction. I'm in one kind of hardcore auction that, that Reality Sports Online. I don't know if you've played there if you have. Yes, you have. I, I think you, you mentioned that. Um, no, not that one. I no, mean, that's oh, the one where you have salary okay. cap, right? Right, you have a salary cap, and it's very uh, yeah. No, very, uh, they have a great site, and the the hard work is done for you automatically. But you do have to go in and do some serious bidding, and I'm in a league there as well. So that's my only auction league, and it's a, it's a it's always a, a bit of a project to get through that draft every year. I would think I, I in my old hobby, uh, which is kind of based off of old board games, is you know simulation uh, football league. Uh, we I was in a few salary cap leagues, and it's uh, it's one of those things that seems like a good idea to get a sense of what it's like to be a real GM until you get slogged down in the <clears throat> details and don't have right don't have time it's, for it's it. It's intense. Unfortunately, a lot of the management, all you know, the salary caps, you know, the salary cap and the contracts. You know, a lot of that is managed by the site. They do a great job with the site, Matt Papson and all uh, Reality Sports Online. I mean, they do a fantastic job. But it is still, I mean, it's complex. And, and when you're in, what did I say, 20 plus, you know, we close to 25, I imagine, by the time all said and done. Uh, you know, management is an issue, especially when you're also, you know, pumping out 80 plus news stories a day, et cetera. So it gets, yeah, that's, it, it gets that, that, that's a lot. You know, and and it's funny because I read something that you had written somewhere recently talking about your on-air partner at SiriusXM, Mike Dempsey, and what makes for a good fantasy football owner. And one of them is being relentless and, um, you know, relentlessly trying to improve. That's how I always did it in the early days. And then you say, well, I'll join more leagues. And you start realizing that more leagues means less ability to be relentless in the leagues that you are in. Yes. Yes. And and at some point, you know, when you're in this business and it's difficult and I don't say it lightly, but I mean, you, you realistically, you you know, you realize you're going to be at a disadvantage, Uh, you know, like for instance, you know, free agent day is one of my biggest writing days uh, every week during the season. So, I'm, you know, I'm hard pressed. Look, I'm not going to miss a deadline. You would have to kill me to get me to miss a deadline. If that means my team isn't as good as I want it to be, well, that's how it works. Realistically speaking, my job is helping other people win their championships. I want to win. I'm a very competitive person. It is a painful thing, you know, when you're struggling along and you're not able to make all the moves you want to make when you're able to make them. I try to do some things and use some techniques to alleviate that to the degree possible, but it's not 100% foolproof. Uh, so that is, uh, and that's kind of where you have to get. You have to get to, hey, look, this is my job. I don't, I, you know, I'm not just playing this. And as competitive as you might be, you know, the job comes first. The job, you know, I always say the same line because it's true. Uh, you know, nobody cares if my fantasy team sucks. They care if they're winning. And I'm there to help them win. And it's just like 
in the old days when you walked out your front door and uh, on Sunday morning to get your Sunday paper. And if the Sunday paper wasn't there, what did you say? Uh, did you say, gee, I hope the paper boy's okay? Or did you say, where's my effing paper? You said the latter, right? <laughs> and so my job There's is no that I'm the paper boy. I'm the paper boy. Nobody cares about anything about me or what's going on in my life or how my teams are doing. Uh, and a lot of what I'm doing is, you know, look, I don't mind being a lot of leagues. I don't mind setting a lot of DFS lineups. I don't, you know, all these, all these things help me help people make their decisions. That's my job. You know, my job isn't necessarily playing and having a great time playing fantasy because the two don't necessarily, you know, I want to win. I competitive as hell, but I'm also realistic. Yeah. And I think that comes with age a little bit as well. You, you start realizing your limitations in a number of capacities and, and you have, the, you have more grace to be able to accept it. Uh, one of those things that you had mentioned that I, um, that, you know, these tricks that you did is that you say you, right. you do the waiver wire a week before. And, and that kind of confused my little brain because you know, I feel like a lot of what happens and is available on the waiver wire is in most leagues. If you're in leagues with good people, it's almost all based on who got injured that week. Um, could you just tell us a little so bit about how you go about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I look. It, it's and it's a tricky thing. Obviously, part of that is you know knowing what what buys are coming up and who you have coming up on buys and paying attention to that. You know, when you have the time to do that, you know, Monday is an easy day of work for me. So I'm focusing on that. But there's more to it than that. And you're right. I mean, there's things that you can't, you know, injuries you can't take into account. But what you can do is when you see, you know, you know, when I'm talking on serious or I'm writing every day or I'm talking on serious taking calls, we start talking about players before they're really on the radar. And I think a good example of that last year would be like a guy like Devontae Booker. You could sense there was a momentum building around him even before Anderson got hurt. Now, it turns out that once he got the full-time role, he was – turns out he was much better in a complementary role than he was in a full-time role. But before that, you could so, – so when you see a player like that and you get a sense that, hey, this guy's on the rise, go ahead and – I mean, there's always somebody on the bottom of your bench that isn't on there. And be aggressive in that regard. Say, oh, I drafted this guy. I don't know why the hell I'm holding on to him because he's never making my lineup. Feel free to shuffle that guy out and shuffle in somebody who appears to be on the rise. And that's what I mean is, 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 is move a little early on players that you feel are gaining momentum, even if you're not necessarily going to play them, even if you don't have an injury that requires you to make the move. Make the move when you see people starting to, starting to gain momentum. And you see it every week in the NFL, right? Yeah, and maybe it is a one-week phenomenon. Well, if it is, move on the next week. So that's kind of what I mean by playing it a week ahead. Just playing in advance, being being willing and open to moving on from the guys you drafted that you thought were going to be great. Look, they're not great. Get over it. Move on. Let them go. Bring in a new body. See if he can be great. Yep, I, I agree. And Twitter can be very helpful with that. Um, a lot of the people who listen to me, you're on Twitter You know, you really should be checking it out and hearing, you know, I picked up Stefan Diggs in about five of my six leagues two years ago based on a blurb on that someone had written on Twitter. And I got it's exactly what Bob just described. I got him a week earlier. I always like to tell the story of one of my first couple years in fantasy. I got Mark Bulger 
like a week or two before he took over for whoever Kurt Warner's backup who was playing horrible was because I had seen Bulger play well in preseason, thought he had a better arm than the guy who was playing. And sure enough, two weeks later, Bulger was one of the better QBs in the league the rest of the year. And that same year, I picked up Rudy Johnson the same way. And, uh, you know, it's harder to do these days because the information is everywhere. Right. But you definitely have to be trying. Well, and, and the thing is, a lot of people in your league don't make a move until they have to. And you're kind of counting on that as well. I mean, a lot of people will just sit there. Look, I drafted this guy. I'm giving him every chance to suck on my bench until I need to cut him and let somebody else try to suck on my bench. I'm willing to let anybody suck on my bench, right? If I get yeah. a sense that somebody else might Absolutely. suck a little bit less than the guy who already sucked. And it's, it's part of it is, you know, the whole emotional investment, the attachment we make into these players when we draft them. I mean, you, there, there comes a time when you have to let go of that, and I'm quicker to let go of that than most people. I don't, and that's not to, you know, say you're hitting the panic button on guys, not any big stars, but the bottom of the, you know, the bottom of the barrel guys, the guys at the end of your roster. Yeah, you're trying to hit a home run there. You know, yep. that's, you know, if you've got a guy who is just sitting there, and, you know, maybe you'll play him with a buy and he's a guy who's not very exciting, has no top end. You know, you should always be looking for that guy. I agree with you 100%. How important do you think it is to go back and watch games? Do you have the NFL pass? And how many games a week do you go back and watch? Uh, pretty much all of them. And, you know, the, the abbreviated version uh, in the past is always – served me well and a lot of it is you know you're still writing and you're sitting there so you have it on and you're listening and when something catches your ear you will look up and you replay it right so I mean I'm sitting here and I have to write a thousand words per team starting every well I start on Monday and by the time Wednesday 3 p.m. rolls around that's got to be done so I don't have time to sit here and stare at a television box I have time to sit here and write words so while that's is that NFL Game Pass is playing in the background, and I'm looking out of the corner of my eye, and there's times when I can glance over at it, and there's times when I hear someone say something about something or something that I've read about or that, I'm, you know, that I've heard about or seen a highlight of. I want to see it in better context. I would use it like that. I would think by the time that Wednesday hits, I've probably been through every game a couple times. Yeah, it's, it's, a, big, it's a big help. And, you know, analytics are great, but getting your eyes on players is important as well. The nature of the NFL is constantly changing and adapting, and thereby fantasy football needs to change and adapt as well. How much different is the game now from when you started? And sometimes do you miss the good old days? I liked it when there was one running back on every team. Look, I mean, everything changes, and and – and, you know, the thing about change is we all hate it until we make it, right? I mean, I didn't want to do online banking until I did online banking. And, oh, look, I can pay all my bills sitting at home. I didn't want surround sound because it was too complicated. Now I have it. And I go, oh, look, there's some of it's over. I mean, look, change is something you need to embrace no matter how hard it is. I think in the NFL, you know, the uh, advances in the game, the changes over time, uh, have been really easy to take. The, 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 you know, the, I think the problem for most people is not making the change. It's realizing the change is happening and joining in, right? You, you know, we all tend to cling to the thing we love. And so, yeah, I love the old days when everybody had one feature back and 
and you could get a handcuff at the end of a draft because nobody else was interested in the guy but you. So, um, those, you know, but those days are gone, and the NFL is a new thing, and there are three receiver sets, and there are, you know, there are satellite backs, and, you know, Danny Woodhead is a thing. And all those, all those things, I mean, you have to be quick to embrace them or at least willing to embrace them uh, as they happen or you're going to get left in the dust. Yep, I couldn't agree more. And you mentioned handcuffing. A lot of the old tactics that we used to be very successful early on have come into disrepute a little bit. Is there anything, though, from the old days, you know, that is still kind of a foundation piece of how you approach fantasy football? Well, I think the one thing that's remained constant, because it is constant, is uh, understanding how what a head coach wants to do. And people, you know, you know, the analytics guys don't like narrative. I get that. But there is a narrative to everything. And the guy who controls the narrative is the head coach. Yes, the GM has some say. But the coach is the guy. Look, in the NFL, everything changes every week. The scheme, the opponent, the way you prepare, all these things, you know, there's all kinds of nuanced changes that have to come with a different game plan and a different way, you know, way of uh, approaching the opponent. The head coach's desire in life, the one thing that every head coach wants is to keep everything else as much the same as he can. And that allows you to understand that, you know, over time as you get to know these coaches, although it gets harder in some cases, said the Cleveland Browns, um, you know, <laughs> understanding their patterns and their habits and how they like to use personnel uh, and what kind of approach they prefer. That's, that's a good way, to, you know, and the same with coordinators. I mean, you can track it to the coordinator level as well. What are these guys? What's their history? What have they done? How have they used personnel? What kind of scheme, you know, who fits in their scheme? These kind of things are, the, are where I think that's the thing that never changes. Coaches never change. Even though the people change, the faces change, the places change, but coaches are and how they act and how they want to act and how they want everything around them to be never changes. And that's kind of something you can use to your advantage. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of like a math equation where if, you know, you don't know any of the three parts of the equation, you'll never figure it out. But if you can put in one or two pieces, then it becomes easier to do the math. Um, and, you know, people are, are very consistent whether for good or bad in life, right? Yes. So like yes. Rich, Co Rich Cotite was consistently bad. You can count, you could count on that, right? You know, right. Buddy Ryan was going to run the ball. You could count on that. And I right. think you're 100% right. right. And it's, you know, like I'm buying a lot of uh, the Rams defense this year because of Wade Phillips. Wade Why? Phillips. Because everywhere right. the guy is gone, he's had great defenses. It's not rocket exactly. science. And you understand how he wants to use personnel. And that's the thing, you know, I talk about the narrative. When I talk to an analytics guy, they'll, you know, they'll start flying. I say, look, the narrative isn't how it's going to happen. It's not how things work out. It's how they want it to work out. Look, that's all you get because things are going to change. There's guys that are going to come out of nowhere. I, I talk about this every year. We're talking about a running back that nobody drafted who wins you your fantasy title. So, I mean, be, you know, it's okay to buy into narratives. Just understand they change and be on top of that as well. When you see something, look, coaches aren't idiots. I mean, they're sitting there. They see the same things you're seeing. And, 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 and you know, whoa, look at this guy's great performance. Well, okay, that's probably going to change the narrative to a degree. And, and, and I guess also, you know, another thing I think about when I think of head coaches is how much did we all think Joe Philbin was an idiot 
for not playing Lamar Miller every down. Yeah, why is he putting him in the game? Well, it turns out that Joe Philbin was around Lamar Miller eight hours a day plus every single day and watched him every day in practice. We're sitting here in our houses wondering why Joe Philbin doesn't know what he's doing. Maybe Joe Philbin does. Not even a great coach, but certainly he's there every day. And also, you know, so realize that when you're looking at personnel and, you know, you're looking at his spark scores and all these things, why isn't he on the field? Well, there's probably a reason for that, and it's because the coaches see him every day, and they see his approach off the field. They see his approach to his nutrition, to his training, to his working out, to his playbook, you know, the preparation and study of that. All these things are factors that we aren't privy to and will never be privy to except for brief moments of hard knocks. Yeah, which I, I, I actually, uh, after a couple of pretty bad years, I enjoyed that Tampa episode. Uh, but you were talking about, uh, you know, a few minutes ago about the one running back, and, 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 and it was. Life was easy it, as long as you got the, re- the right draft spot, it, you know, to get those, you know, if you could get those two r- good running backs in the old days and get them handcuffed, you had a real good chance to, to win. And now recently there was this theory uh, of zero running back where running backs get hurt more and they don't have as much volume as they used to. So go with a lot of wide receivers early. Um, You know, when you first heard of something like that, what did you think of it? And have you ever tried to to play zero running back? Uh, I thought zero running back reminded me an awful lot of something Matt Waldman wrote about years before called the upside down draft. So, what is old is new. Uh, look, I think, you know, there, I, I mean, be open-minded. I try to be open-minded. And there are years where, you know, the personnel and the confidence level you have in the high-end running back, maybe they lead you to this zero running back approach or a late running back approach or however you want to call it. Um, so, yeah, it is a thing. And it's not something that you should be dismissive of. I tend to be the person who zigs when everyone else is zagging. So when everyone else is going zero running back, I'm grabbing the guys that are leaving behind early probably, but, and vice versa. And here's when everyone's going running back heavy. Maybe I'm not. So, uh, you know, look, I think there's room for all these kind of approaches. Everyone should have something that they feel comfortable and confident in. Is zero running back is something you think, you know, for me personally, I feel more comfortable with an anchor running back still. And maybe that goes back to my, you know, 1980s roots. Uh, I like to have that one guy. It doesn't mean I draft him first overall or in the first round or whatever, uh, but it means I want a good running back. I want a solid volume guy. I always talk about when I'm drafting running backs in particular, I want two things, volume and value. Uh, if I only get one of them, I want volume, right? So, uh, and so I'm willing to spend a little bit on a guy that I think is going to get great value great volume early in, in, you know, going on. So I'll draft them a little earlier, but honestly, I think you need to be wide open. I don't, you know, I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily a believer of going into a draft saying I'm doing this other than the first pick. And, uh, and once I get past there, you know, Mike Tyson said it, you know, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the nose. Well, I get punched in the nose every round of every draft. So the, the plan needs to shift. I think. I think he said everyone, Everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. Yeah, it was more like that. Yeah, much more. Much yeah. better than mine. Something like that. But, you, you know, uh, you, you basically said the next thing I was going to say, and it's my philosophy as well. I, wanna, I want value. And if everyone is 
taking running backs, well, then, yeah, I might want wide receivers. If everyone is taking Mm -hmm. wide receivers, I might want running backs. Um, You know, if you're trying to win things, you know, I do a lot of best balls, and, you know, it's a 1 in 12 lottery. So I'm I'm trying to find a strategy that, A, I feel comfortable with, that I think gives me a very good chance to win, and something that not everyone is doing. So, uh, I agree with you. I, I think you, you have to be, to be really good at anything, you have to be a little bit contrarian. Right. And I guess that's the thing, you know, look, anytime I hear about a guy in his short pants in the summer, you know, destroying like, you know, this year it's Christian McCaffrey, right? Uh, you know, there, nobody has ever played football as good as this kid. He is the best thing ever known on the face of the earth. Uh, uh, just taking guys out of everything. And I remember that, You know, this is a thing I should pay attention to because Amir Abdullah told me to pay attention to it two years ago when he was all those things, right? So I tend to run away from the hype. It's just an automatic reaction. Maybe it cost me a good player at some point. I mean, it's not like I won't draft Christian McCaffrey, but I'm not drafting him as, you know, as a top 15 running back. I'm just not going to – that's not going to be my approach. I'm going to look for somebody later who gives me a value. I might take Jonathan Stewart in the 12th round, you know? (laughs) So – I think those are yeah, the, I, I, I wrote that article on football diehards about, uh, you know, not being like Wiley Coyote when you, uh, you know, if, if, if the crowd is running towards the guy and, and the, it's no different than the stock market. I don't want to be buying the right. stock that's gone up 200%. I want to find the one that's going to go up 200% right. next. So, I, um, I, you I, know, I, right I, now, I have a cornier way of saying it. I want to be the fantasy fireman. I want to run into the burning building of value and drag out that, you know, drag out the victim and resuscitate him. And so when everyone is run, you know, if everyone's fleeing the scene, I'm the one running in and, and, and trying to, trying to, trying to cash in on that because I'm cheap, inherently cheap. And I want everything at a discount and, and you don't get all of it, but as much of it as you can, that's what I want. I, and, and that's pretty much my philosophy. Uh, to a T. And with the 2017 season upon us, who are your best values on the board? Well, I think, you know, I, I guess if, we, if we're looking at best ball, I mean, I do like some of these guys that people are, are, have abandoned. You know, uh, I think, you know, look, I think Samaji P. Ryan is going to be everything the Redskins hope he is at some point. But until he is, Rob Kelly is a starting running back there. And I can get him about 10 rounds later than I'd get Samaji Pirine, and I'm exaggerating. But, I mean, there have been times this year where I've seen Pirine going in the, top, in the first five rounds. I'm going, what the hell are people? I would say the same, you know, the same for Terrence West, uh, you know, especially now that Kenneth Dixon is out of the picture. I love Danny Woodhead, but I'd be fine with Terrence West four rounds later, too. Uh, and those are the things I'm looking for. In a best ball, I'm not afraid to take a guy like Quiz Rogers who maybe carries me a few weeks early in the season. Uh, maybe if you draft a guy like Ezekiel Elliott early and you're fearful that he might get a suspension, you grab a guy that, you know, you know is going to have a role early and you don't know beyond that. So I think those are, I mean, those are some of the guys, uh, you know, I think in best ball, again, it's a little different. I'm more than happy to take a flyer on Jeremy Hill, who I think, you know, look, even if you don't believe the Cincinnati Inquirer report that suggests he's going to be the starter all season, and I don't, uh, I mean, I think he'll still have some value 
in in a best ball kind of format, especially when you're drafting him in the you know after the twelfth round. I mean, I just think and and James Stewart, the guy we mentioned earlier as well. Uh, I think all those kind of running backs are guys that all that all take late round chances on because they're going to do something at some point. And I and in best ball, I don't have to know when it is. Yeah, I I recently did an article and. Uh... It was about Ty Montgomery, and I basically said, look, it's not that I don't like Ty Montgomery, but because of all the bad news that some other running backs had, there was a vacuum in the third, fourth round where there weren't any good values at running back. So guys like Crowell and Montgomery have been going Mm -hmm. around or two earlier than they were earlier in the season. I'd rather take Jamal Williams in the fifteenth round than than you know, or I'd you know I'd rather take a Diggs or 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 a Crowder, mm-hmm. someone who's going to get steady volume that I can trust. Um, you know, there's still questions about oh. Montgomery. So, right, and even in the, you know like so you, the PPR, Duke Johnson, only two other backs have caught more passes than him over the last few years, right? I mean, he's easily overlooked. And, I and think they those, just you know, announced. So, uh, they just announced he's also going to be their uh, slot receiver. Right. So, I, I mean, I think those are the kind of players that – and I think we always – you know, look, there's a thing – There's part of being a fantasy owner is something that we cannot avoid. It's, we try to we, – we want to be the smartest guy in the room. And it always amazes me in drafts when I'm seeing wide receiver fours going off ahead of wide receiver ones. Look, I don't like Robert Woods. I don't think Robert Woods is good. I think he's getting a hell of a lot more targets than, you know, somebody down to you than J.J. Nelson, right? Or Paul Richardson or Eli Ross. I mean, you know, people, you, you want to look good and get that kind of sexy pick and the guy that if he pans out, you're going to look like you just nailed it. Well, I'm all for that, but I'm also for having guys on my roster that can contribute every week if I need them to until I find somebody better. And, look, maybe somebody will be better than, than, than Robert Woods. I'm sure they will be at some point. By then, I hope I figured it out maybe even a week before everyone else, and I've got him on my roster, and Robert Woods is out there waiting for somebody else. I couldn't agree more, and we'll, you know, I guess we'll leave it there. Bob, uh, you can find Bob Harris at Football Die Hard on Twitter. He is the senior editor at Football Die Hard, and you can tell that he is relentlessly working to get you the best information every day. So check out their website, you, you might even find an article to, or two of mine hanging out there. Serious XM Fantasy host and FSWA Hall of Fame member, Bob, I really appreciate you coming on the pod. And thank you very much for having me. And definitely do, everybody, look for Todd's work because it is fantastic. I love it. Uh, I like the style, like the facts and the way the information is presented, and it's great information. So I uh, appreciate your efforts as well. Uh, it's it's a pleasure to work with uh, guys like you and Emil. I, I I couldn't be happier. And I a lot of times I ask people to, you know, Bob is kind of, you know, joked on Twitter with me, no one's older than me. Well, anyone who listens to my pod occasionally knows that I will ask the guests to pick the song that I lead out with because I love rock and roll and I love leading out my show with a song rather than, you know, whatever you get on some other pods. So I was a little taken aback by Bob's choice, but I'm going to leave you (laughs) out without any further ado with Bob's choice. Good night, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Run to Daylight podcast.
Come to the 